0: We're combining all the best old school wisdom with all the top new school methods to bring you the optimal way to coach and play the great game of baseball. This is the 80, 20 baseball masterclass with coach Bo. Welcome, coaches. Welcome to the 80 20 Baseball Weekly Get Together. Good to have you here. In this episode, I'm going to give a shout out to an ex teammate of mine who just got a nice position at a Division I college. And not just that, we talked about this individual on this podcast and we broke down what made him super successful at the plate a while back. Also, we're going to talk about keeping it in perspective. I'm going to share with you something that I think will help so many coaches when they get out there to help you stay calmer and help you keep everything in perspective. That is youth sports, youth baseball, and just life in general. And we're going to talk about something that's rampant through youth sports. It's rampant. It's everywhere and how to avoid this to be a much better coach. I hope you all are having a wonderful lead up to the holiday season. This episode's coming out on December 21st. I'm recording this Saturday the 18th. I typically spend Saturday mornings recording these episodes and then I send them right off to my editor, Sam, who does a great job. He turns it around. Then I read edit it typically on Mondays, and then launch it and put it out live into the ether on Tuesdays. Usually these are scripted almost always well in advance. In fact, right now I'm actually six weeks in advance on my scripting out. I keep a nice file for each one of these and it's scripted out. We got some good stuff coming up here. Actually five or six episodes from now, the plan is to have some mental coaching strategy shared with you. In fact, I have an interview lined up the beginning of January to do some mental coaching strategy talk some discussion on mental coaching, mental health within sports, and, and all of it can be applicable throughout life. So I'm excited for that. I'm excited to share that with all of you. First, let's start off with a big shout out. Tommy Nicholson, Coach Nicholson, got the head coaching job at UC Davis. So Tommy Nicholson, we brought up Tommy Nicholson. We discussed Tommy in an episode previous, a few months back. Tommy and I go way back. Now, Tommy's a couple years older than I am. So we were never like super close. So it was never like on the same. Team per se. I did play on his team, or I should say, I was a part of a small kind of a sideshow part of his senior year. I would get pulled up to the varsity team, and that year, 1997, he was the Southern California Player of the Year. In fact, the pitcher on that team that went 13-0 and is a head coach at Loyola Marymount, Nathan Choate. So Loyola Marymount Division One team. There's quite a few guys I could go on. The catcher on that team was David Parrish. and most of you, if you're old enough to remember, Lance Parrish was. A very well-known catcher in the major leagues, and I could go on and on about some of that team. I, I wasn't really a part of it, although they'd call me up and you know let me uh, shag some balls and start some pitches, etc. But it was a good experience, and that was actually something that really helped out for the underclassmen. And this is something that you could do if you have younger kids. Bring them up, let them practice with the older kids. They're going to struggle, but this is something that's very advantageous. In fact, San Luis Obispo, their head coach, I believe the player's coming back this year. He's going. To to be a junior. I can't recall his name off the top of my head. He's a second baseman or shortstop. He's one of the top ranked players going into the draft this year. Well, he's the coach's son, but he's legit. And a big part of his success, a big part of his growth as a player to get him where he's at now, obviously hard work and all those things came into play, some genetics come into play. But really what it came down to was that he was out there practicing. I want to say it was like as a seventh or eighth grader with the college team, with a division one college team. San Luis Obispo doesn't get a lot of publicity out on the east coast or even outside of california but it's a good program ozzy smith went there ozzy smith considered one of the greatest shortstop if not the greatest shortstop of all time he went there they've had some pretty good coaches come through there pretty good players and it's just a beautiful part of the country it's just a beautiful spot in california that central coast so this coach's son he played up that helped expedite his growth as a player we talked about this a while back and a listener emailed me and said coach but how do you get him ready for the next level what's the best way to get him ready for the next level how do how do you get them ready for the net, you know, from moving from coach pitch to player pitch, to et cetera. How do you get them ready for high school if they're in seventh or eighth grade, which is something we're going to actually talk about next week a little bit more in depth? You want to get them ready for the next level, throw them into the fire with the next level. With Tommy and his team, they would bring us up. Well, I guess every year the coach at my high school was a Hall of Fame coach would bring up five to let's eh, say three to six players. He would bring them up from junior varsity, sometimes the freshman team, and let them practice and let them show up and sit there in the dugout during the game so they could. See, we could see the pace of play. And then when it was our turn, when it was our turn the next season to take the reins and be the leaders, be the people out there on the, the field for the varsity team. The game was the same speed that we had seen, but it was definitely an uptick from junior varsity from freshmen. That was huge. Now, Tommy, speaking of getting pulled up, Tommy Nicholson, now the head coach at UC Davis. My dad pulled me up when I was in Little League. Instead of playing T-ball, the league asked my dad to coach a team. They had a team that needed to be coached, and my brother was already on the team and my My dad said to the league or whoever it was, he said, hey, I'll take the team, but I need to bring my younger son, Bo, up to play with his older brother so I can coach them both. I want to watch them both. I can't do it unless you bring up my younger son and let him play. So they let me play up. And in that league, our rival, we won the league, by the way, with a coach who wasn't uber serious. My dad, that is, who was not uber serious about winning and definitely coached the right way and coached for the kids. And we crushed the league. I think we won all but one game or, or maybe it was we won every game. It doesn't really matter, but we won first place. And in that league, the second place team was led by Tommy Nicholson. He was on the Cardinals. He was a second place team. Tommy's dad coached that team. So I go back to 1986, 1987 with Tommy Nicholson, and he got the job this past week at UC Davis, which is a Northern California Division I program. So that was super cool to see that getting pushed out there on the baseball community news feed. Tommy's a great player. We talked about what made him so successful at the plate. It wasn't so much a swing. Although he always had a good swing and he wasn't very big. He's not a very big player. He's not small, but he wasn't like this massive Mike Trout wasn't a John Carlos Stanton, but he could hit home runs. And what made him so good was his pitch selection. He was the best player that I got to see up close and personal in the same jersey as him, albeit he was on the field and I was essentially a glorified team manager just getting pulled up to see. Nevertheless, he was the best at the pitch selection. He had such a good approach at the plate and he swung at his pitch and he didn't chase at that. Really, really set him apart. So congrats, Tommy Nicholson, new head coach, division one college baseball. That's really cool. And this ties into our next topic here. Overcoaching is rampant in youth sports. Overcoaching is rampant and has been for a long time in youth baseball, in youth softball. It's rampant. We talk about helicopter parenting, helicopter parenting this, helicopter parenting that. You know what? I actually think, parents probably need to be a little more involved with where they're at. I think helicopter parenting, and not to get off on too much of a tangent here, helicopter parenting, and this has been a teacher of 16 years working with kids. I mean, I've substitute taught kindergarten classes, second grade classes. I got my own kid. I've worked 16 years with this. I've coached a long time. And I hear this helicopter parenting thing. So uh, there's helicopter coaching, right? And we're going to talk about the difference. I think the thing with helicopter parenting is I think parents need to be closer and a little more observant of what their kid is doing. They need to be a little more involved in terms of proximity and being observant with their eyes, but a little less involved with stepping in when they have a little disagreement over the swing, right? When Johnny and Chuck have a disagreement, when Chucky and Johnny have a disagreement over the swing or over the slide or over the monkey bars, I don't think we should just intervene immediately. Let them figure it out. Let them push each other a little bit. I'm not saying you are trying to promote any kind of a violence here. Of course, they're four years old, seven years old, and I to do much. Let them go after it. Let them get the skills to work through struggles. But I do think that there is some a lot of underparenting in my opinion, and I see it firsthand with the students over the years I've dealt with. It's like, we're the parents. I taught 12 years inner city, 12 years inner city. I had hundreds of kids over 12 years fail when you add it all up. It wasn't a lot every year. I was trying to do my best to help them succeed, but there was say hundreds of kids that failed my class if you combine all those dozen years of teaching. And I very, very rarely, if I don't even actually remember getting a phone call saying, hey, my kid failed. What did they do wrong? Hey, my kid didn't have success. What can they do better? Never. I would have back to school night. Well, the school would host back to school nights. They would host open house nights. Most of you are familiar with how that works. It would be twice a year. They would send out emails, phone calls. They would literally blast it from the loudspeakers in the town center. The town square would be pumping out this message. Hey, back to school night, back to school night, open house, Jordan High, Buena Vista High. It's going, it's going. Be here. Free pizza, free taco truck. Well, not the truck, but the tacos, free drinks, sodas. Everything is here. Come on by, music. They literally, literally could not have done, the school that is, could not have done a better job of getting parents the message Yet they didn't show up. I'd get five parents out of 200 students. I'd get eight parents out of 200 students. And that's just usually one parent, not both. And these were hosted at like 6 p.m., 7 p.m. These weren't hosted at three after school or four after school. So while I think there's a lot of underparenting and under-involvement in parents, and I could probably do better myself, and I'm always looking at spots where I could give my daughter a little bit more attention, not necessarily uh, help and doing things for her and not necessarily coddling, but helping and just being supportive and being there, being around it and just kind of dedicating some time and not getting distracted with other things. A big thing these days is phone, internet, that stuff. So while parenting probably could use a little bit more involvement, coaching, overcoaching is rampant. And there's too much involvement in my opinion. Now, this is a generalization for youth sports, baseball specifically. Overcoaching is rampant. And somebody like Coach Nicholson, Tommy Nicholson, Coach Nicholson is somebody who's very quiet, very introverted. So it'll be interesting. I think he's had a lot of success and he's not much of a talker at all. In fact, I don't know if I ever heard him say anything in high school ever, maybe like one sentence. And I wasn't around him all that much, but I don't remember him ever saying anything. He's a very quiet coach. So you can be a quiet coach and be successful. You can be a quiet coach and have success. Last week, we talked about an approach, a plan, a strategy to coach a little less, but a little optimize it a little bit more. Go back and listen to episode 108. It shares it out. We talk about it there. Just keep this in mind, overcoaching is rampant. So if you and you will, you will be immersed as a coach. You will see coaching done at a high volume. You just will. On average, you're going to see a high volume of input, always giving feedback, always intervening, always got a comment. There's always a lot of just this interjecting of how that skill or that technique or that play could have been done better. This is something we have to be very careful about because the there is the law of diminishing returns. This is a perfect example of the law of diminishing diminishing. diminishing returns and the returns have been diminished and are being diminished throughout youth baseball. And the thing is, not only is this going to diminish the returns for your team right there in that season or the upcoming game, this approach, this over coaching approach, the over talking, the over correcting, it's like driving. It's usually the over correction that gets the cars to roll and flip, right? Same with coaching, the over correcting, the over coaching, it comes back to hurt players later. In life, because we have not allowed them to develop the skills, the self-direction, the self-driving, the self-directing skills. They need to learn how to figure things out a little bit on their own. And I've also talked about the massive bonus, too, is that kids don't really like that coaching. They don't like that approach. They don't want to be overcoached. They don't want to be undercoached, but they don't want to be overcoached. Like everything in life, it's a balance. You don't want to undercoach, you don't want to underparent, you don't want to overcoach, you don't want to parent You got to Assess where you're at. If you are a coach, and most coaches are in that over coaching range, they're on that side of the spectrum. You need to back off. You need to bite your tongue. You need to let the players figure it out a little bit. Now, let me be very clear here. I am not saying that you, as the coach or the coaching staff, should be over in the dugout, should be over on your phones, should be over somewhere off to the side doing your own thing, huddled up talking about Monday night football or talking about something not related. In fact, I wouldn't even be off to the side talking very much about. About the team. That's stuff that should be done after practice or before or on a group message, a group chat message, a group email throughout the week. Talking about undercoaching is not saying be out of the picture. It's be in the picture. Be front and center sometimes, but don't feel the need to speak up about every error, physical error that is, that a player makes. Okay, we've talked about the hustle, the disrespect, the safety issues. Those need to be addressed immediately and very boldly. Those need to be addressed quickly, immediately, no lag on those No latency on that. But when it comes to correcting a ground ball between the legs and things like that, and we hit this last week, so I'm not gonna dive too much further into it, but this overcoaching is rampant in youth sports. We talk about helicopter parenting. Well, helicopter coaching. I don't like the term helicoptering because I think you should be hovering near your players at all time. I think as a parent, we need to be hovering near our kids. We need to be near them. That doesn't mean five feet, 10 feet. It could be 50 feet, but we need to be hovering near them and we need to have a good view of what's going on. We need to be involved physically. We need to be present visually. Kids, when they make an error, they'll look to see and you see it and you give them a little nod. It's important that they see that you see. It's important that you care enough to watch and you're involved. It's the verbal, it's the dialogue, it's the incessant feedback. That's something we got to pull back on. We need to, as coaches, overall, we need to give less feedback. We should give feedback, of course. We should provide support. we should provide strategies and improvement tips for whatever it is, the swing or the ground ball or the throw or the pitching. There should be improvement tips, but it should be balanced with them also figuring it out. Uh, you know where I think this comes from a lot of it, this overcoaching, the excessive feedback, the excessive pointers given out, the constant feedback, the constant need, the feeling to address every error, everything, every mistake our team, our players make. I think a lot of it has to do with the anxiety in society. We all have it anxiety to an extent, we're all on that spectrum. I think anxiety plays a part in this. I think it's hard for us to just sit there and take a deep breath, bite our tongue and just say nothing. So I think the anxiety plays a part in it. The reason I'm sharing that is so you can look, you know, introspectively, we can look at ourselves and go, okay, well, maybe I just need to breathe more. Maybe I need to be more mindful, more present. Maybe I need to go for a jog before I go out to practice. Maybe I need to go jog two miles, go out 20 minutes, 25 minutes, go do a two mile jog and then go to practice. I guarantee you're going to be responding and critiquing at a more balanced rate. Just my take on that. I think the anxiety plays a part in it, but I want to break down root. I'm a big, huge fan of root things. You guys, the 80-20 baseball hitting approach, hitting plan is about roots. I am a massive believer in figuring out what are the root causes. We're not trying to put band-aids on things here. We don't want to be a band-aid solution. We want to solve the problem at the root as best as we can, as best we can. We want to address the problems at the root. And I think anxiety plays a part in this. Also, I think it's the, if the other coaches don't see me correct that, then they think, I don't know how to correct it. Or if the rest of the coaches or parents or other teams watching and my player makes a mistake, they may think that I don't know how to, and maybe we we don't know how to fix it. Maybe we don't know what went wrong. Maybe we don't know where the error started and how to address it exactly and how to correct it and how to fix it. But I do believe that some of it comes from the perception that we're not coaching our players enough. We're not coaching them up if we just let them, we're letting them slide. And that's, that couldn't be further from what we should be doing. We should be coaching our players for them, not for the perception from other people looking at us as a coach and not from the point of anxiety, right? Anxiety is driving a lot of issues in society, in our lives, and we don't want to be controlled by that. We all have to deal with it, but we got to make sure that we stay relaxed, we stay calm, and address these errors on a balanced level. Let the kids play a little bit. So overcoaching is definitely rampant. If you're out there trying to keep up with the rest of the coaches, the coaching Joneses. If you're trying to keep up with the coaching Joneses, you're likely overcoaching. You're likely overteaching. You're overcorrecting. We don't want to overcorrect. We don't want to overcorrect, and we want to time our feedback appropriately. And this is something. Now let me just really hit this, and this is what I'm going to hit last. This is super important. You're like Coach Bo. How do I? Know know how much is enough or too little. Just feel it out. Look for patterns. Look for patterns and correct patterns. Don't correct one-off mistakes. Avoid correcting one-off mistakes. It could be one-off for that practice. Now, that player may have made that same error three practices in a row. That doesn't mean you need to correct it the first time it happens in that next practice. I look for patterns. It needs to happen. That error, that physical error needs to happen a couple times, at least two times, if not three or four times, and then I intervene. Depending on on how close you feel out the player to being able to figure it out on their own is something that's important. Each player is a little different. Each player has their own level of self-directedness, self-coaching. This is an art, not so much a perfect science. It's not something that can definitely be quantified and a number could be given to each player. But look for patterns, avoid coaching one-offs, look for players to make that mistake multiple times physically before interjecting, before intervening and sharing your feedback. And lastly, if you can give the feedback as low a key as possible, that is always better. So, we talked about overcoaching is rampant and loud coaching is rampant and unhealthy. Try to be a low volume critiquer, a low volume suggestion giver, a low volume feedback coach. When you need to bring and raise that voice up, you'll know when you need to do that. That's typically discipline. That's typically bullying. That's typically a rules violation, a lack of hustle, a safety issue. When you raise your voice, you want it to mean something, you want it to stand out. You don't want it dilute your volume, your tone. And if you just are always loud, always loud, and then when you need to be loud. Well, now it's not much different than all the other tone and pitch and volume that you use. It's not going to stand out. So giving feedback, low key, less of it and more low key. Get a player to decide. Just go talk to them just within earshot of them and, and share with them. You're not trying to protect players in terms of, you know, they're fragile. They need to understand how to take feedback in front of others. But this goes a long way early on to building that rapport that you're not about the show. You're not trying to, be the show. I truly believe coaches, and we're going to break this down in a couple episodes from now. We need to not be the show. We need to let the kids be the show. They need to be front and center, and we are the supporting role. We are the people behind the scenes, supporting them, the foundation behind the scenes. Unless that is, they start getting lazy, lack of hustle, they start bullying each other, they have a safety issue that presents itself, then you want to bring it. Then you want to bring it. You want to bring it with some tone, you want to bring it with some boldness, and you want an attention getter. Which which makes me think of one of my favorite movies, Smokey and the Bandit. Jackie Gleason, Sheriff Buford T. Justice. He says that was an attention getter. Those of you that know Smokey and the Bandit, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you don't know Smokey and the Bandit, you gotta go check that movie out. circa 1977, 1978. I personally think that Smokey and the Bandit was responsible for the Trans Am sales tripling in the five years after that. The T Top Trans Ams. Now I believe there was three Smokey and the Bandits. One of them sucks. I think it has an elephant in it. Don't waste your time with that one or maybe the elephant one was good. I just always just get sucked into number 1, but there was a second one of the next two was decent, but I digress. Let's not overcoach. Now last thing, let's keep life in perspective. Let's keep coaching in perspective, right? So we always talk about let's keep it in perspective. Let's keep it in perspective. So last part I want to talk about here. Right before I jumped on here to record here in my office, my studio, I got a text message from my closest cousin and my his wife is has been for a couple months now on a lung machine keeping her alive in Denver. Now they're from Montana. I've shared out that my backstory with Montana and spending all my summers in Butte and a lot of my winters in Butte, Montana, which happens to be the hometown of one of the great baseball coaches of the last 50 years, Ed Chef from Lewis and Clark State University. So I get this message right before I go on here and it's it's just bad news. It's not good. It's looking really bleak. And I talked to my cousin last week on the phone and it just looks bleak and it doesn't look good and, and uh, it's not looking good. And uh, we've heard this before. He kept bringing up this same statement. He kept bringing up this same point that we need that life is fragile. Life is fragile. We need to keep things in perspective. We need to enjoy each day. We need to keep things in perspective. And I th- think as a coach, this is something that could be much better in the baseball coaching community, the youth baseball community. Let me be upfront. Nobody, nobody outside of who's at that field and maybe one other person, nobody, nobody really cares what the final score is of that youth baseball game. It doesn't matter. It doesn't impact the world. It it doesn't impact even, the, even your city. Unless your team is on ESPN and the Little League World Series, like I had Coach Murphy on well back in the summer, we had Coach Murphy talk about his Little League experience. And yeah, that's a little different because you're on ESPN. But 99.99999, almost repeating decimal of you and these games are not going to be on ESPN and nobody's really ever going to know anything about what's going on. There might be a little blurb in the newspaper, but really nobody cares that much. They just don't. People don't really care about the youth team winning a tournament outside of of the kids there and maybe the parents there. Hopefully the parents not too much, but the kids there and the coaching staff. Outside of that, people really don't care. They don't care. They don't care what high school team. When I was coaching high school baseball early on, I thought way more people were paying attention and thought it was way more important that our team was going to the Southern California semifinals or championship game or this, that, and the other. I thought more people were watching it like I was, like it was a big deal. They aren't. And they weren't. They just aren't. Coaches, if you coach high school, even if you coach college, people are really not following it that close. I would follow all that stuff because I was involved in it. Then as I got out of that a little bit, you don't follow it that closely. You really don't. It's not that important. What you follow are bigger picture items, not these one-off who won this or what was the score of that game or this game for youth baseball, for high school baseball. It's not a big deal when it comes to anybody outside of what's going on in that field. I'm not saying what we're doing is not important. It is very important. Coaching, supporting youth players, giving them an environment that's healthy, to work on being and a better teammate, to work on monotonous practice, reps, 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 routine like life, to deal with failure, to deal with striking out and getting back up there, to getting out in front of people and failing in front of others and peers. There's so many things that are improved for the upcoming life ahead of our youth that sports provides, the vehicle that sports provides to get there. It's really a vehicle to prepare kids for life. Let's not get caught up in one game or a playoff game. Don't overreact to a scoreboard. Let's keep the big picture in mind. It's also a game. It's not life and death. A lot of you, 89% of the listeners on this podcast or of this podcast are in the United States. And I almost think that when life is really good, when things are really good and we live in such a wonderful place, we live in a place where we don't have a ton of worries. We all have worries. We all have stressors in life. We do. That's just being human. There's always going to be stressors and worries, right? But we have it really good. We have it really, really, really good. Could it be better? Sure. Could we improve things? Yes. Is the trajectory? of the country. Maybe he needs to get, you know, we need to always keep an eye on that. Yeah. But we have it really, really good. And so if we're going out there and artificially making big deals out of little league games, out of pony league games, out of travel ball games, out of high school baseball games, come on, come on. It's just a game. It is supposed to be fun and a learning environment for life. That's it. Should be fun and a learning environment for life. If you get caught up in that scoreboard, you're going to avoid, you're going to miss those two marks. You're you're going to miss those two targets. But what I'm saying is it's just a game. What I'm not saying is we shouldn't go out there prepared and really trying to do our best to make a really solid impact on our players and provide a really healthy, nurturing environment that will definitely lead to more wins. But that's an icing on the cake thing. That's a byproduct of really doing the things that matter. And at the end of the day, don't overblow the perception. Don't overestimate the importance or the widespread notoriety of that game. The pl- People are not talking about that game. People are going to forget about it down the road. They don't remember last year's Super Bowl winner. They're definitely not going to remember last month's youth baseball winner. So my cousin's message really hit home. And right before I hopped on here to record, I just looked at my phone and I saw that and it's like, Hey, we're all going to be dust. We're all going to be dirt in the ground in a blink of an eye. It is what it is. Let's enjoy life. Let's not lose perspective of the big picture when we're out there, when the umpire makes a bad call, when you lose a game, when you don't make the playoffs. There should be a new stat. There should be a new stat associated with every coach along their win-loss record. It should be out of 13 kids, how many of them enjoyed the season? How many of them had some fun? Were you 13 for 13 on that? Okay, that's what matters. Did your players become better human beings? throughout the season? Did they improve as people, as human beings during the season? And were they better at the end of the season than they were at the beginning of the season? All right, there you go. How many? 12 out of 12, you were undefeated then. Players should have fun and they should become better human beings. Fun is, it's not all about fun. It shouldn't be all fun and games. It should be fun, enjoyable, but also a learning ground for life. The two can go together. Have fun, make it an enjoyable learning ground for life. That's why sports is the best. That's why youth sports is the best youth sports, things like this. This is the best. This is the absolute best. Way better than school, way better than all these other options, I truly believe, because it prepares kids for life if we do it right, and it's enjoyable along the way. It can be enjoyable and fun, and it preps them for life. It's the best of both worlds. So to recap, overcoaching, it's rampant. Let's dial it back. Some of you need to bring it up a little bit, but most of us need to dial it back. We need to stop overcorrecting everything. We need to keep it in perspective as well. We need to keep it in perspective. It's just a game. It's a learning ground for life. It's not all about that scoreboard. And first off, really nobody cares outside of that game, that field, really nobody cares. They don't, sorry. So if you think the whole world is watching or the town is gonna be talking, they're not. They got other things they're dealing with. They got other problems that they're going through in life. They don't really care and they're going to forget about it. Even if they did care, they're going to forget about it in 48 hours. So let's just keep it in perspective. And lastly, big shout out, Tommy Nicholson. Congrats on your new job as the head coach, a division one college coach. If you haven't listened to the Tommy Nicholson episode, it wasn't an interview, it was an episode where I broke down what I thought made him uber successful. Well, one of the parts that I thought made him uber successful as a player, specifically as a hitter, you can go back and check that episode out. And I hope you all have a wonderful, wonderful holidays. If you celebrate Christmas, hope you have a wonderful Christmas. There will be another episode, before the new year's hits. So I'll save my happy new year's until then. Take care, take care of your families, take care of your health, make sure you're getting enough rest, get your vitamins. These are big things. You know, you talk about all this stuff. We talk about all this stuff that doctors can do for our health and all these things that at the end of the day, get your rest, eat healthy, get those vitamins, stay hydrated, keep those stress levels down, go for a walk and go out there, take this information and help the baseball community be a better place. You be the change in the baseball community. You be that change, we'll be that change Thank you for being here this week. I look forward to seeing you back here next Tuesday on the 80-20 Baseball Masterclass. Adios. This has been the 80-20 Baseball Masterclass. Take it to the field.